joy and pleasure of bringing you the word today, and so I pray that uh, you're blessed as uh, we listen to the word of God, and he imparts his wisdom to us. We will be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen as it reads, therefore be imitators of God, as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you. And he gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. When Paul pens this letter to the church of Ephesus, it begins with blessings that we as all believers enjoy. If you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, think back to chapter 1, where we learn that some of the blessings that we receive, every one of us who are true believers, is the blessings of being chosen in Christ. But not only chosen in Christ, but also being adopted as son having redemption, and knowing the great mystery of his will. Also, obtaining of our inheritance. And finally, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This is what makes us unique in the world. This is what makes us stand apart from all other religions. But at the same time, this is what unifies us because we are together in Christ. This very fact is why we've been charged to be diligent to preserve the unity of the saints in the bond of peace. This unity, you'll notice, has been given to us. It hasn't been created by us, but given to us to maintain because it was given to us by Christ himself. Now, while our main text spans the first two verses of chapter 5, and it may seem very short, I promise you there is actually a lot condensed into it because of the previous verses and even the verses after that it connects to. Now, of course, when you look at it, let's remember just as part of the plain English grammar, when the word, therefore, begins a sentence, we should all be asking ourselves, what's the therefore? Therefore, right? Well, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, the word therefore is there because in the previous chapter, chapter 4 of this letter, the Apostle Paul, he spent a great deal of time believing, uh, a great deal of time explaining how believers have been lavish with the blessings of God. And how we're to also take corrective action so that we don't imitate the Gentiles, which is just another simple word of saying, or simple way of saying, of saying the unsaved. Instead, we're to imitate God. And don't miss the fact that the Apostle Paul begins with a pair of commands. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1, Paul implores us, be imitators of God. Verse 1, excuse me. And in verse 2, he says, 
walk in love. These are the two commandments right now that informs our outline. So let's begin by examining these commands to imitate God. In verse 1, we're called to imitate God. Now God is holy. Therefore, if we're to imitate him, we're supposed to be imitating his holiness. In fact, in verse 3 and 4 of the same chapter, Paul tells us immorality is not even to be mentioned among us since we are saints and saints of God. Saints. That's what we are. This is a word that we've got to actually use more often. This word is a word we actually need to take back and reclaim. The word saint, when biblically defined, simply means holy ones. But not primarily in the moral sense, but in the sense of being marked out as God's people. It is in and through Jesus Christ that God has sanctified every one of us, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or that he's made us holy or made us saints, according to Philippians chapter 4. In fact, many of the letters of the Apostle Paul, if you remember, always begins with a greeting, a greeting that includes the word saint, such as this, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. In such statements, Paul includes all believers in Christ as saints. But in our modern time, it's an impossibility for natural men to imitate God because they're still dead in their sins. They're still blinded in darkness. Hence the exhortation from Brother John, which pointed out the craziest things that we see going on in this world. Roles and definitions are changing right before our eyes, which points to the sins of man. When Isaiah experienced his vision of God, he says of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Let this truth sink in. Holy, 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 is the Lord. And if we're saints and children of God, of which the scripture tells us is thrice holy, then our imitation of him, our walk, walk as believers, should clearly distinguish us from the world. The world that's full of darkness because we are the children of light. When people see us, they should know we are children of God by the things we say and do. Since we are children of God, and we all know that children do a great job imitating their parents, how much more should we imitate God faithfully? Look at verse 2, our second commandment. Our second commitment is to imitate God as beloved children. As children of good and faithful parents who raise us up in committed love and who sacrifice for our growth and success, we honor them in return by our obedience. 
our affections and our imitations of them. In Ephesians 6, 1, Paul commands children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Being children of God, how much more should we love and obey God for how he's lavished upon us his love? As his children, our responsibility is to imitate God. And one of the ways that we do this is to be obedient. Just as Christ obeyed God the Father, doing and accomplished all he was sent to do, we too are to imitate God by obeying Christ and imitating him. Because our Father is also God. The Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1, verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. See, as obedient children, we must obey the commands of the apostle to mimic God and not the world. Let me conclude this section with Paul's admonition to us in Philippians chapter 2, 14 and 15. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. Imitating God as his children requires certain things. And of course, we see here, right in Philippians, we're told that we're to be blameless and innocent, just as Christ was, who came and died on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin for us. If we're to imitate him after being saved, it requires us, too, to live blameless and innocent lives. For after all, God is our Father, and his children imitate him. We're to be above reproach, because in the times that we live, and I'm sure you would agree with me, it is indeed a crooked and perverse generation. I mean, think of the fact that we have people who are now outwardly, with no shame, who describe themselves by their sins. Have you ever thought of a crazy thing as such? How do we go around describing ourselves by our sins? Incredible. Well, folks, we're children of God. How should we describe ourselves? By our imitation of God, by our obedience to God, right? By the qualities of God. Here we see again blameless, innocent, above reproach. Here's how man should describe his disposition as opposed to the other crazy things that we see. When Christ ascended back to heaven, 
He left us as his light in the world. Another apt description of how we should describe ourselves. We are his light in the world. He equipped us with the gospel to us and initiated by God the Father. And the quality of this love, if you notice, that we're to imitate as we continue reading in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, and he gave himself up for us. This quality of love is different because it's a sacrificial love. One of many examples that exemplifies Christ's love for us in, was, in fact, his very incarnation. Christ came because no one else could. Foretold by the prophets, one man would die for the sins of many. God in the flesh who came to seek and save the lost, Christ would sacrifice his own body as payment for our sins. We all being found guilty were spared eternal wrath of God because Christ willingly took on the punishment we deserve. If God had determined to send every one of us to hell to wipe out mankind, he would have would have been just in his action. Because none of us deserve to be spared. But praise God for his mercy, his loving kindness, that we found grace in his eyes, just like Noah did long ago. Paul's letters to Titus says this, in Titus 3, verse 4 through 6, But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What an amazing sacrificial love what amazing grace that this is that we all get to experience together. Now, we imitate God in this way, particularly when it comes to his sacrificial love. We do this by loving and caring and providing for one another who are in need. A perfect example of this, if you remember, is found in Acts chapter 4. As the believers shared amongst themselves, even selling property, so that no one was left in need. Don't we practice the same thing here in Red Mills? God has provided through the Deacon's Fund the ability to meet the needs of many of our members who need help. Also, many of you serve, sacrificing your time and your abilities to bless the people of God in our fellowship. Then there are those of you who work sacrificially, doing things like preparing meals for sick, the people who are sick among us. When we recently had the Kirby's memorial service, very uh, a few people got together and they prepared and took care of everything so that the family would not be in need or have to worry at all. What a beautiful example of the sacrificial love of God that we practice and we're called to practice as we imitate God. Then there are those of you 
time that you sacrifice to study and to prepare so that those of us who are being taught in God can be taught biblically and effectively. Again, just another quality of this particular love, this sacrificing love, and this is the way that we mimic God. All this and more qualifies as imitating God as we sacrifice time and resources to, know, to one another. Continuing in verse 2, notice that the offering and sacrifice is directed to God. As we come to the end of Luke, when Pastor returns next week, our study will take us to the book of Leviticus, a book full of a lot of sacrifice, a lot of blood, pointing to the ultimate and final sacrifice that finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. What you need to do is pay attention as you listen to these things. The blood of bulls and goats were never the true intended sacrifice to do away with sins. As we'll learn as we go through Leviticus, they were merely symbolic, pointing to the true sacrifice of Jesus. Animal sacrifices were insufficient as it only covered up sin for just a short time. Hence, the need to perform them over and over again. But the sacrifice of Jesus was perfect and performed once and for all, never ever to be repeated again. It provides the way for countless of generations of men and women to come and have their sins atoned for because it was the ultimate sacrifice to who? To God. As Paul writes, and it was explicitly for the payment of our debts of sin to God. Just as the hymn says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, he washed it out as snow. <clears throat> Which describes Think about that. Everything that you do is a spiritual act of worship to God, even in your vocation. Does God smell a good aroma as you imitate Christ? Does he smell something foul? I pray that he smells a good aroma from your sacrifice as you imitate his son. In Ephesians 4, chapter 18, we read, I am amply supplied, as another example of this aroma. Paul writes, I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent as a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice well-pleasing to God. Even the gifts that we give is a pleasing aroma to God. As believers, our lives should be one of constant fragrance aroma to God. 
That is true of our offering. That is true of our funding of the missionaries that we support right here in Red Mills. And it's true of our ministries of help. Everything that we do, we do imitating Christ. And from that, what rises to the throne room of God delights him as a fragrant aroma. Our imitation of God means more than what you can imagine. There is a spiritual dimension to it that we ought to always remember. This is what makes us different. This is what makes us distinct from the world. Certainly there are a lot of people who can outgive us, who can do more work than we can, but God doesn't smell anything good from them. It's a smell of death. Sure, they may beat their chest and say, I did this, I did that. But it's us who are only pleasing to God in our spiritual work that leads to that fragrance that God, that's, that, that, uh, that satisfies our God. In this way, we fulfill our mandates to be saints whose object of imitation is God. I close with this. During the week, I want you to earnestly think about our charge that the Apostle Paul has given us to imitate God. Do everything you can to imitate us because God has empowered us through his spirit to accomplish this. Also keep in mind, so importantly, to consider the fact that the results therein are done to God as a sacrifice and are a fragrant aroma to him. Amen? Amen. Father, we do close today giving you thanks for your word. I pray that upon hearing, people may have been encouraged to imitate you because in this we know that we are your children and what child doesn't imitate the goodness of their parents. Parents who they learn to delight in. Parents who they learn to obey and love. A love that's spread amongst the family to our fellow siblings who are also your children. Whom we earnestly live to walk with and to gather together with in the joy of God that has brought us together so that all these qualities of imitating you might be displayed amongst us so that when the world looks at us, they can know by our love that we are your children. Father, thank you for this privilege. Thank you for the ability that we can carry this out because you have made us alive. We know that this is indeed a supernatural and a spiritual work because otherwise we could never practice this type of love. But the fact that we are together, gathered in your holy name, every Lord's Day, singing your praises, learning about you and worshiping you is evident that we love you and that we are your children. 
Father, be pleased with the fragrant aroma of our occupation, even as we go about this week, um, going about the duties and obligation of our work, being good and faithful um, uh, employees to our employers. Keep us, Father, from ever ruining your good name. May what we do be done to God. May what we do be a pleasing aroma that will fill your throne room. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who has given us this ability through his sacrifice. Amen. Amen.